Hospitality, where we spill the tea on the psyche. My name is Camera. My name is Light. And today we have Nancy Escona on the show to talk about her poetry book, Corazón de Seda. Thank you so much for, for coming on, Nancy. Thank <laughs> Yes, we're very excited. Nancy is a phenomenal writer, poet, occasional mixed magazine writer, and just production wizard. She does yes. so many things. <laughs> I just bow down to just wonderful things. Like you're very talented in many ways, but we'll let you introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you and, and what do you do, Nancy? Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I love doing things like this. Well, I'm Nancy Escona, like Light had mentioned. I live in LA. I'm a poet. Uh, I can say that I'm a published poet now, which is really weird to say. Yeah. Heck yeah, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Physically holding your book. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Trust me, I have the box here and I'm just like, oh, those are real. <laughs> and then on the side, I'm a ceramist. I make pottery and that's just a hobby of mine. And I'm like still a baby giraffe on roller skates. So that's, I think, all you need to know about me. That's great. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm jealous of the roller skating thing. I, I feel like I missed my opportunity when the pandemic started. <laughs> Everyone got into roller skating. And I'm just like, I, I feel like it's too late for me to get into this jive. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to let everyone else be the skaters and I'll, I'll find... I'll find a trapeze. To, to do. <laughs> it's never too late. You just have to find one person that used to do derby, and they will oh, want to teach yes. you everything. And that's what I had I've in always my back wanted pocket. To do People who are in roller derby are like really into roller derby, and I, I'm here Super for it. Into it. But like, they're the best teachers because they're like, yeah. "So I'm gonna teach you how to get beat up." <laughs> like, teach you um, how to fall okay all right let's cool. do this <laughs> or like, and then you can just skate however you want to but like i'm gonna teach you how to fall first is this how i can be as cool as you are <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah. it's great i love it <laughs> that's fantastic that's awesome so before we jump into it we like to talk about the the tea or the the drinks that we're having mm -hmm. I'm actually, I'm rocking decaf today. I know that that's not tea, so I feel it's a little blasphemous, but I ran out of herbal tea, so I have my decaf coffee today. It is from, I, I have like a, a subscription service where I get ones from from like various places throughout the world, so this one's pretty cool, but yeah, nothing super special when it comes to tea, sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> we drink whatever we like here, whatever relaxes and feels good to us here, tea, coffee, lemonade, water, whatever it is is for me i'm a teaaholic this is my life has been turned into what kind of teas can i buy i there's a brand of tea that i go to at the, my farmer's market called naya tea i really love and i'm drinking their og tea which has cinnamon apple rooibos ginger raspberry leaves there's a lot chamomile nice. clove black pepper there's a lot there's a lot in there and it's just very relaxing all the things does it also have the kitchen sink in there too and <laughs> it's their og so they just like go all out it's the it's the one they're known for. yeah so just kind of relax this is their big mac yeah this yeah. is their big mac of tea so do you know just enjoying enjoying the big mac of drinking <laughs> i don't know why i love that phrasing so much it's the big mac of that it's the big mac <laughs> <laughs> exactly 
exactly. It's their thing. That's their thing. Yeah. OG. OG. I get it. I love How about you, Nancy? Yeah. What we got here? I'm also not special. I just put it in a mug because I thought it looked really great in a mug. It's literally just bubbly. Oh, it's wonderful. The mug is great. It's a sparkling water with ice. That's all I got going on. That's cool. I would like to say that Nancy's mug is my favorite thing I'm looking at right now. Yeah. For you, those of you listening, it is like beautiful. It was done at a pottery <laughs> shop that she goes to. I just think it's, it's like yellow and it has, what is the pattern on it? I can't. They look like bees? little flowers. Actually. Oh, flowers! It's like little daisies. Oh, nice! Oh, they're so flowers. cute. That is very cute. That's so cute. Yeah, and it has this cool like type of handle to it, where your fingers. Yeah, it doesn't have like the regular handle. I love the handle. It's like you room for the mm-hmm. fingers. It's like a grip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like rock climbing. It's like ready to go tea and rock climb. <laughs> tea and rock climb. Yeah, it's like a rock climbing the mug. It's <laughs> the only type that of rock climbing. That would be fun. <laughs> Listen, I understand my strengths and I understand my weaknesses. Rock climbing is a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> Rock climb right into this mug here with my bubble. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about vulnerability and also various mm-hmm. other topics that you explore in your poetry book. But we wanted to touch on a little bit of kind of all of our background with each other since we're all friends and, yeah. you know, wanted to kind of talk about how we know you. And so they have, you know, a little bit of background on on where we're coming from because because we love you and we want them to know how much we love you. So <laughs> yeah, and we both know you different ways. Like, yeah, we ran into you in different circles. So I think that that is quite yeah, intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> but like, go first. Yeah. So I, I met you at Authentic which I'm mm-hmm. fairly certain doesn't exist anymore. I think they, yeah, yeah. you're right. But <laughs> I met you at Authentic, the production company. So we worked together there. I was an executive assistant and we just became friends kind of immediately. I, I really enjoyed working with you, like you and Quinn, you know, like the, the other dude who sat across mm-hmm. from you, who I still talk to almost <laughs> on a daily basis, you know, so yeah. like we all became friends, you know, there was times where you needed to ride home, which funny enough, I ended up moving to Avalon eventually. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I, you know, would give you rides home uh, occasionally. And we had some really nice, like therapeutic sessions where we just kind of dumped everything that made us upset onto each other (laughs) yeah just to add to that too I think why I was so keen to even being on this is because I had like a really tough moment during my time working at Authentic and one of the first people that like I like reached out to was Light because I was like I'm crying in uh, someone's office right now and I don't know what to do can you yes can you help (laughs) so yeah Light has uh, seen the beginnings of all of (laughs) of this as a person so yeah (laughs) yeah no I'm very happy that that we met each other you know and I Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have traded how we met for any thing because I, I I feel like it no. it was it was really nice having you there where we were working you know and it was just a wonderful like beginning to a friendship <laughs> yeah I agree but yeah so off to you camera how did you meet Nancy our our meeting was not as emotionally like power <laughs> it was more like we met in an apartment in East Hollywood I believe Matt's apartment I think it was Matt yeah my friend was bringing me to when we were going to go to the satellite his friend Matt was like oh let's let's go let's let's get lighted up let's go to the the satellite which is now closed and I'm like please let that not be forever I know like the 
yeah, like the Senate drama is closing and the arc light is closing. So oh, sad. God. oh, God, I can't, I can't, I can't with that right now. But we, <laughs> I come here and Nancy is there and just dolled up, studded, just like I am ready to like, I feel like the, the kind of attire that I call you is like casually, like creatively right here, ready for anything. I'm like, I, I love this. I am so ready. Like, let's go. And we had such a wonderful time at the satellite and just chatting and just learning what you did. And like the things that you worked in production was just fascinating. And I feel like we kept on bumping into each other after that. Yeah. We would run into the same circles. The universe was like, be friends. It's like, look, you know, yeah, this person's going to be at this event. This person's going to be at this event. I'm like, I just, I want to know Nancy more. I want to get to know Nancy. Like Nancy is just meant to be in my life in some way. I I want to be around Nancy more. This energy is just contagious. But that night, I just, I always will like kind of cherish that night as a really fun time that I had with people that I didn't really know in, in the East Side. And it just is a really fun memory that I think I still have pictures of. And mm. I I just look back on that. I remember knowing like, wait, you know light? How do you know light? Yeah. And realizing <laughs> this Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that a similar, I think similar experience with me. I got brought over to someone's apartment. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> Go. Remember those times again where we could go to people's houses? I'm just go to my Yeah. Yeah. So we we wanted to dive in a little bit into the book. So before we touch kind of the individual poems and the themes and stuff, we wanted to kind of hear like what the catalyst of this poetry book was. Yeah. You said that it took you about six years to write or so, right? Correct. Mm. I mean, that's that's even before you and I met and stuff like that. So that was that was a long time ago. So what was the catalyst into being like, you know what, I'm going to write a poetry book and, you know, uh, maybe what were some of the first poems, some of the first inspirations, etc. Yeah, like you mentioned, this book has been in the works for six years, but I've been writing for even before I could remember, I just came across a Newsday article, which is very Long Island, like, publication that I wrote when I was 12. Wow. <laughs> I wrote an article when I was 12. It's the smallest little piece That's so impressive. ever. It's just me talking about knitting, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> the important things. <laughs> yes, the important stuff. But I came across it and I was just like, oh, I've been writing. <laughs> I've been writing way back in the day. But yeah, so I've been writing poetry for a very long time, too. I used to be really involved in the church and I used to actually start writing poetry for like church services. Mm. And then when I, I left the church, it still stuck with me. And around 2015, I think I was a junior in college at that point, And I like fell in love with spoken word. Spoken word really was the catalyst for me to even want to continue writing in a larger sense. So in 2015, I started a manuscript. I was like, I'm going to write a book one day. I want to write a book one day. So I just started a manuscript. And the tentative name was Pillow Talk because every single poem I had written was always at like 3 a.m. in my bed because like a spark <laughs> of inspiration. You like raise that out of bed like, Here we are. I need to write this. <laughs> like not even kidding. It's like I had a dream that is coming out. We got to put the words down. Yep. Got to write that down. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was very much like, oh, I gotta get my notes out because I'm not gonna be able to sleep if I don't write this thing. 
but yeah, so it, it started in 2015. And then I would say the, the turning point for me to be like, I'm doing it was actually last fall. I just started taking workshops, poetry workshops. And I had the privilege to enter this workshop run by Desiree, who also like does spoken word. And I had seen her work before. And I was just like, oh, this is really cool. Um, so she has a workshop that she runs called Through Line. And I joined that one and we had a performance at the end. Um, but between that time, you got to have a one-on-one with her. And I had my one-on-one with her, sent her like a few pages of my manuscript. And when I had the meeting with her, I was just like, I want, like, my goal is to have a poet, poetry book in like a Barnes and Nobles in the Midwest with a person that feels connected to me and then feels a little less alone. Like, that's my goal. And she was like, you know, that's doable, but you got to write the book. To write the book. You gotta write the book. Step one, right? Step one. The book needs to exist. Yeah, she's like, it's so achievable. Like, yeah. if that's your goal, it is so achievable for you. You just have to actually write the book. And I hadn't released that book or even tried to even think it was a possibility because I think if you're an artist or a creative, nothing ever feels done or good enough. So I was basically at that point for nearly six years where I was just like, I just got to keep being better and I just got to keep perfecting these poems or switching out these poems for new ones. And then when she said that, I was just like, I'm just going to have to write the book. And even like as much as I love my book, I read the poems sometimes and I'm like, I've written better ones already. <laughs> I'm like, no. That's going to be impressive though to feel like, oh yeah, I'm evolving. Like yeah. this book now, I'm like, I, look at where I am now. Like that's kind of cool to show like the evolution of yourself though too. Guess you just got to write another book. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> With bigger and better poems. Yeah, Sequel. I told my uh, I told my friend, I'm like, someone should pay me for my next book. <laughs> someone should pay me. <laughs> yeah. You, are you going to pay me? Yeah. Are, who's going to pay me? Yeah, no, it's it's been an incredible process and like it literally releases on my birthday, which is just in a few days. So I'm like so ready so for this to also be in the world. What a wonderful birthday present. That is a great birthday present. I know. So many, so many things. April is National Poetry Month and I've done so much in this space that I have never expected myself to do and like been reached out to do things in this space, which is like really cool and really new for me so yeah it's it's a really cool and amazing process and I always like whenever I have my therapy sessions I always like tell my therapist these things and I kind of just always say it like matter-of-factly I'm just like yeah so I'm like performing this thing and like that's on my plate and then this time and she's like those are really cool stuff you know that right I'm like yeah I guess they're really cool yeah. things. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they're really cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. I am that cool person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Could you tell our audience, like, what is this poetry book about? Like, maybe in a general sense of, like, what is the, the main kind of theme or story that's kind of tied within? Yeah, I would say Corazón de Seda is a, a little insight to what it is to be queer, fat, first gen, and trying to figure it out all like on your own, basically. So it's broken up in three parts. I took advantage of the name and used each part to um, break it on section. 
Corazon is about my journey with love and I am pansexual. So a little bit of everything in my spectrum in that part. And then they, I took advantage of making it about my inner journey and like the things that I've struggled with and like internally and growing through that. And then Seda, I took to dedicate to my family and me being first gen and all that jazz. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit about me. You know, I think we're all made up of many different things. We're not just a single, like you're not just a podcaster. You're not just, you know, a woman. You're not just yeah. a person. Like you are made up of many different things. Wait, I can go do other things. I'm not just a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> you're locked in the room. You're There's a world what? out there. <laughs> I have more than just this disembodied voice. I'm more than just a woman. That's so exciting. There's so much more. <laughs> no, uh, I love it. No, but like that, that's the thing is that where people yeah. are just felt like they need to be this mm-hmm. one thing. And I feel like I'm a different person every day. Like I truly do. And that's not like, I'm not going to like switch up on you. I think my base of a moral person mm-hmm. is there, but like, some days I'm just listening to post-hardcore music and I want to straighten my hair and look like a scene kid again. Hell yeah. And then other days, all I want to do is speak Spanish and I don't want to deal with anything. <laughs> also, hell yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting. And I, I hope the book embodies that a little bit. No, oh, it definitely does. And I love how you talk about like the dimensions of it and how you broke the book up into talking about the different journeys and different sections of what you want to encapsulate in yourself. I think it's powerful. And I think it's just a really beautiful thing. I think people are like, I have to be either this one thing or this like, even like the whole saying, like the jack of all trades, master of none, but sometimes better than a master of one. I think I said that wrong. Mm. But um, (laughs) I think that that is beautiful that you can kind of like go into each different part of yourself and show that in such a beautiful way. And Corazon de Seda, the meaning of that you say is, I see it's like it's silk heart. And you're talking in the the back of the book, you describe how being like silk is like a very strong, a very like durable kind of fabric. And but it's also like we, as you can see, like the salt, we think of it as soft and sweet and like this very simple thing. And I think that's within our topic vulnerability, a really powerful thing of like how being you can be vulnerable but be very strong with it being soft and strong are two things that can be together um but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i agree i mean i made the name i i have the name i chose the name (laughs) that was your choice no 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 no, no. but (laughs) you agree do you think the title quote or something they say it is a good title (laughs) i think it's great (laughs) no but i I think this generation and the generation before us, especially depending on your living situations, you grow up thinking that you have to be like this brick house, right? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, at least, like you grow up that no one can like fool you. No one should be able to go past you. You have to be this statue, basically, which was so harmful to me in a way because I... In my family, I would say I'm the emotional one, quote unquote, because I'm someone that like is very open with her opinions and her thoughts and when I feel slighted and when I feel hurt, but it never, I never felt seen in the way. And not that my family didn't love me, but it's just like, you know, they, they felt 
let's let's not let this bother you because it shouldn't bring you down and then sometimes you just want to feel like sad Mm. but I never felt allowed to just feel sad it felt like all right let me cry and then like I'm over it that's what I have to do and like I'm still like I mentioned I'm in therapy I still work through that specific thing almost nearly every week I have a session it's just like you like don't have to just let it go you know you can just like you can feel the things and I'm like feelings (laughs) <laughs> what? <laughs> what um, but yeah, I and, and that's what the hope of the book is. And honestly, whatever I put out there and whatever I um I allow myself to be seen as, because you know we're all very curated, especially on social media. So what I allow other people see, I hope it is like, hey. I'm vulnerable and this is what I want to show you or like I'm I, like I'm having a tough time and this is what I want to show you right now and I you know I'm I still think I keep cards close to my chest like I'm not I don't put everything out there I think you should also feel like you have that privacy in your life for when you want it like it's your choice if you want to be vulnerable or not but I think the difference is we felt like we're not allowed to be vulnerable and that takes away the choice, right, of choosing to be vulnerable or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you can choose what you don't want to share, but you can choose to still share. You mm-hmm. know, like you don't have to keep everything locked away. Exactly. Um, but you also don't have to share everything either. You know, that kind of that key to vulnerability is is having those boundaries and knowing where those boundaries are for you and what's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to to touch on a little bit of, you know, you mentioned that this has been kind of a long, long journey of making this book. Do you remember what the first poem was that you wrote? And oh, goodness. That's in the book. In the book. Yeah, maybe like what's well, the first one maybe that you decided to write for the book and maybe like the Ooh. first one that you found back like, oh, that one needs to be in the book. I'm getting the book. Ooh. I'm getting the yeah. book. <laughs> She's getting the book. <laughs> I knew I should have done this beforehand. And I was just like, oh, I already know the poems we're talking about. Nope, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, 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 you're good. You're good. That's cool. I would say Corazon, a lot of the poems in Corazon are poems I wrote already. So a lot of it was just trying to place it where I thought would be best. So actually, Winter Sundays, which is basically a love poem about like the first person that I had fallen in love with and like the aftermath at like of a year after for that. Mm. That's probably the first poem that I wrote and felt super proud of. (laughs) So yeah, that's the first poem in the book that was like the beginning of it all that's beautiful nice and then i would say the first poem that i wrote for the book was probably poetry is too vulnerable for a lion home oh yes which is the last poem we want to touch on that one at the end like that's that's the one we want to touch (laughs) on at the end yeah Yeah, we're going to talk about that one a little bit later yeah 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 yeah. so those are the two poetry i remember writing that one and then just sending it to a friend and being like, I think I think this is going in the book. <laughs> That's great. That that had to be a good feeling, right? Is like, oh yeah, I nailed this one. Like this one is like this one's definitely going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know the thing is that a lot of these poems, uh, again, they were in the manuscript, the first one, Pillow Talk, and 
the reason they're in this one now is because when I reread them, I still was just like, this still hits home. Like maybe in, in like the love section, I can confidently say I don't feel that way towards a lot of the people that I've written the poems about now. Like, you know, I've grown and I've fallen in love and I've fallen out of love and I've moved on. Um, but I read the poems and I'm like, I was in love with that person or I was starting to fall in love with that person. And I remember that. And that's still true. Like, I can't, t I can't deny myself saying like, no, I, I didn't like, I didn't like that person at all. What do you mean? Yeah, your past self's feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, can't deny yourself that. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Something that's uniquely to you and, you know, and, and I've, I've written poetry before too, like reading back on those old poems, especially those kind of poems is almost like stepping into a time machine of like your own like yeah. heart, you know, yeah. like it's, it's very weird. Cause you, you read back on those poems and only you can feel this cause no one else has that, but you, it's almost like you step back into a time machine. You're like, Whoa, like I feel these feelings again, but like, they're so foreign, you know, it's like, you know, you, you stepped back into uh, past time and you're like, I'm not really a part of this anymore, but like, whoa, I'm, I'm here again, you know? Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a bittersweet melancholy mm -hmm. feeling of my, oh my word. Like, I remember this feeling. It's not, might not be where I am right now, but whoa, like this is very yeah. real. I can see where I it's maybe kind of even more reflective after you've gone past that point, like yeah. if you felt the love and then kind of seeing yourself on the other side, like, oh, I, re I remember this version of myself and now I'm here. Yeah. It's so easy to look back on that past self, right? And be like, wow, they were just naive or something. But like, I think it, you know, yeah. I think it's really nice to look back at that past self and be like, no, I don't think you were naive. Like you just, you didn't have the the benefits of, of the future or like mm -hmm. of the hindsight that I have. But You like, needed this experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no. I wouldn't be me reading this poem if it wasn't for you writing this poem. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. Yeah. I'm very proud of myself, even though that's like super hard for me to even do, like just be proud of my accomplishments and myself and everything. But like when I step back, I, I, I've been through like the shitter <laughs> a few times. Um, so I, I am very proud of myself. And I think one of the hardest parts of this whole self-publishing journey and or just even just publishing journey is having re having to read those poems over and over again because that was like the one thing I had to do is I had to read those poems make sure I wanted them in the book because there was like a few poems where I put them in the book and I was like no never mind <laughs> I don't want these in here so I I remember when I started reading some of these poems it just it brought me into like a bad place to be quite honest I was just like God, like this hurt, it hurts to like remember this and read these things and feel all of these emotions that were very real to me and so many different emotions of so many different things too over and over again. So that was like one of the hardest things to do with this book because I remember like telling a friend reading these books, like poems, I was at one point I just started like sobbing because I like couldn't handle it anymore. And I was just like, this book is going to break me. This goddamn book is going to break me. And, you know, again, I would not take, I, I wouldn't uh, take back or, or not do that again. But it was hard. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It was still very difficult. I would do it over and over again to get the result that I got. But it, it was draining. It was very draining. Kind of along those lines, because you mentioned that you uh, you you cut some some poems. Did you ever find yourself cutting poems that 
maybe went over that line of, you know, actually, I don't think I want to share this. Like, I think this is a, a personal thing that I, I don't want to share, you know, like this, maybe this is too much. You just be for you. Yeah, this is just for me. Mm-hmm. Was there any poetry like that? Or did you mostly cut like, because you were like, yeah, I don't like this one anymore, or it doesn't fit the flow or things like that. Yeah. Or it doesn't fit with a the theme or like, this is maybe for the next book. It's not that I cut some poems because it was too much. I think I cut poems that I felt like didn't represent me. So, you know, these these poems, even if they're in the past and they've happened already, and even there's some poems in here where I'm just like, I could have done better on this poem, but I'm like, that that was me in 2015. You know, that was me in 2016. So I'll edit it slightly. Hey, I knew 2016, Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I'll edit these slightly, but like, I'm not gonna change it completely because that I want you to also see the growth that I had. And you know, I I like the the poem that it ends with because that's like one of my newer poems and one of my most proud poems. So Mm. I, I want you to see the trajectory. Very excited to talk about that one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, it's just like, this doesn't fit. So I had like a love poem in there, Efer Corazon, and I kept reading it and kept reading it and kept reading it. And it was just like, this this was a spur in the moment poem. I was feeling really down and I wrote the poem through that. But I, that doesn't reflect me. Yeah. It doesn't reflect me. It was more, it, it felt more like a journal entry. Mm. And I was just like, you know what? No, you can read the other ones. This one, that was a moment thing. That's a momentary feeling that I had. Yeah. yeah. And you don't need to know that. Yeah, we, we've all had those moments where you're like, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't yeah. me. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also about like being like strategic. Like, I think you said in the book, in the opening, like about being strategically vulnerable. You, you figured out how, like what part of an open book, like I'm not an open book before even writing this. Like I thought I was, and now I'm not, but how do I become the level of open book I'm comfortable with and strategically share the things that I think will connect with people or like, like you said, help that Midwest, like the person who takes this book off Barnes and Noble and feels alone with the different identities or maybe intersectionalities they have in the world they're in. So Yeah, I agree. It's a labor of love, truly. <laughs> yes. And it's uh, speaking about like being an open book, but I'm not. I like learned that very quickly last year when I was in a situation ship. <laughs> love a good situation ship. <laughs> but I had always thought of myself as an open book because I'm just like, yeah, like I'll talk to someone at a bar and like just go into it and I don't really care. And that person, uh, one day I told that to the person that I was talking to, and they rightfully called me out. And they were like, no, you're not. <laughs> you are absolutely not an open book. You tell me what you want me to know. And that's it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what? I don't need this right now. Yeah. <laughs> All you get is chapter one. Yeah. You just get the trial version. I was just giving you the spark notes yeah. that I think were relevant. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Catch your eye. <laughs> and I don't think that's a bad thing either. It's just like no. revealing yourself in, in sections. You know, I, I do think that's healthy. And if, you know, if you want to be closed off for sure. But like, I think the closed offness for a lot of people is just like, I'm going to get hurt again. And I completely Mm -hmm. understand that. Trust me. But it it really is like the cliche of just like, if you don't give people the chance, they're not going to be able to like show you love. And I I think that's very true. And, you know, 
especially in like romantic love, I've always constantly felt slighted, but I still put myself out there as much as I absolutely hate dating. <laughs> um, I, 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 I do it because I know what it feels to receive that love back, right? Like I have been loved once before and I have fallen in love before. So I understand the beauty behind it. So I put myself through the uh, mounds of <laughs> to like eventually yeah. <laughs> to eventually hopefully get back to a state where I'm just like oh this is what it feels like I remember this so and that's kind of it right it's like you know it's it's one thing like absolutely if you feel like being closed off and you don't want to share that part of you like that's totally okay but you enjoy when someone else opens up to you you know you yeah. you learn to love somebody when they open up to you and I don't want to say you're like denying the other person that, but like, it, you know, you're depriving this relationship of, of that person being able to fall in love with you, you know, um, because you're, you're holding on to all of those feelings and you can absolutely be strategic in it, but mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to have a full blossoming relationship if you're holding on to those, all of those things, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a accountability too, right? Like y- you can feel like, there's no one out there for you, whether it's platonic or, or romantically, and you you can feel like everyone's going to hurt you, but you have to take a little accountability of just like, all right, what what am I doing to not allow myself the love that I deserve? Do I think I deserve the love that I want? Like, you know, it's a lot of inward work that you have to do. And that was something that was like really groundbreaking for me this past year when my therapist kind of put a name to the way that I've been feeling my entire life, which is like my attachment style. My attachment mm-hmm. style is avoidant attachment. Ah. And, <laughs> and that's really fun. That sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's really fun. Yeah. Basically, the way that it sounds is the way that it is. <laughs> but for those that don't know, the best way I can describe it is that you so very want the love and the attention of someone else, but because of that fear of getting hurt or being rejected, really, when you feel like you're getting a little too close to the fire, you step back and you just like either drop people or you like separate yourself from people. And that happens to me very often. The problem is, is you've never stepped towards that fire to get burned. You'll also always exactly. Be yeah. So that's, that's something that I've had to work. And when I've like really inwardly looked at it, I, I know, like reflected on my past relationships and I'm like, oh, I've self-sabotaged relationships. I've like for sure self-sabotaged relationships that could have gone better or like could have gone better um, or could have, you know, been a long-term thing. But because I felt like, you know, eventually they were going to leave me, I was just like, all right, let's, let's end this now. So, you know, I'm all for like people supporting you too, but I think a very big journey in in this is taking accountability on the parts that aren't so nice (laughs) and, you know, aren't like the prettiest of yourself and and accepting that and showing people that I think is so important. I, I remember when I found out my attachment style, I told my like close friends or like friends that I started to get kind of close to and I was like, all right, guys, so I found this out about myself. Um, so if I like leave for some reason, I, I'm really working on it. I promise. And I really love them because they kind of hold me to myself. So when I do start to like 
distance myself a bit or when I like another thing I've noticed with myself is that like again the self-sabotaging sometimes I'm just a little mean sometimes I'm just a little mean to people that I love and care about because I want them to like step away from me and again, my friends who are absolutely amazing when I like kind of did that one day, I think I just like very angrily and or like <laughs> not nicely was just like, you don't know me. <laughs> and then my friend looked at me a little incredulously and was just like, you literally told me this. Like you said this to me. And I was like, <laughs> I did. You're not wrong. I did. I did do that. I did do that. Did. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> and that's my thing where I like, right, I, right. for the most part, like, <laughs> if I'm wrong, I will admit it. Like, I'm not a very big fighter on that. If I'm wrong, I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> But that's great that you have friends that like kindly call you out and like want like, but they're caring. It's mm-hmm. like, I want to be here for you. You're sharing like your attachment styles that like you've learned your attachment style. It's mm-hmm. so great. Anyone who wants to learn the attachment styles, very important. There's anxious, <laughs> I think disorganized, which is like anxious, avoidant, yeah. avoidant and secure. I don't know sure if there's yeah. any others. Yeah, I think those are the major four, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. And also, you know, just to kind of touch touch on that a little bit is those friends wouldn't have been able to do that for you if you hadn't have opened up to them and been vulnerable with them in the first place, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, you you have all of these benefits of this friendship and, you know, of them helping you out. And that would only have been possible if you had opened up to them and been vulnerable. They wouldn't have been able to call you out on your shit if you hadn't have told them your shit in the first place, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us that don't want to, like, step over toes or step on toes or anything. So when they're, like, they see someone going through a rough time, they're just like, oh, they probably just need to be by themselves because I feel like that's how we've, you know, been taught to deal with feelings is like, let them figure it out themselves. Yeah, they can go cry in their room by themselves and they'll be fine. It's like, they'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And for me, it's more of just like, absolutely, I need those moments. But sometimes I just want to be on a phone call. Like, ideally, I would like a hug from a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this time, ideally, like, I would like a friend on the phone. So just like hear me cry and not give me advice because like I'm a very logical person. So I understand that this isn't forever. I understand that like it's going to get better. I I get all of that. But for the moment, it feels super shitty. And I just want someone on the phone to be like, that's super shitty. And that's all I want. Yeah. I mean, I feel that 100% because I relate to that a lot is like all of these things that I'm like upset about. Give me two seconds and I will logically tell you all of this is bullshit. And like, I know that I should like be okay with this and like, it's not a big deal. But for right now, I'm throwing that logic brain out the window and I just want to be emotional for a second, you know, and like, I don't need your advice because I've probably already gone over all of the advice that I possibly could Mm -hmm. already (laughs) in my own head. You know, I really just kind of need to need to feel listened to, you know. Because I've, I've already gone through this whole argument myself. <laughs> it's all about being heard. Like, it, everyone wants to be validated. I think yeah. if people want advice, they'll ask for it. And mm-hmm. also, I think if people are, like, in an emotional state, all you want to be told is, it's going to be okay. Tell me what's going on. Like, yes, it does suck. And let me, how can I serve? Mm-hmm. Like, how can I be here for you? Yeah. So that's great that you have, like, wonderful friends in your life, it seems like. And I'm I'm really happy that you're willing to be that vulnerable with them and share, like, this is what I might do when, like, I might pull away. This is how how I act like you, you're kind of you're very self-aware and I think that's really important for people to yeah. know it I, I call it a, a catch-22 because I'm painfully <laughs> aware of myself where I'm like god just fix the thing and then it I'm is. like no not right now 
No. No, we're yeah. going to wallow in this for a second. Just a little bit. <laughs> let's get into the juice. Let's get into a, a lot of the poems that we wanted to talk about. Let's get into the Big Mac. <laughs> let's, big get into Mac. The big, let's get into the Big Mac of your poetry book. Like, let's, see, yes. let's see where we're yeah. at. <laughs> no, but I think a lot of the poems that we are like kind of the sections that we felt like were the most vulnerable that we wanted to talk about was in Seda a lot about like your family relationships and kind of some of the child, a lot of, it seems like generational and childhood trauma um, that you wrote mm -hmm. about, which was just really powerful. The first one that I, I kind of noticed was um, immigrant child guilt, where you talked mm -hmm. a lot about like how everything that your mother like sacrificed and did for you and you feeling that you needed to have the weight of her mental health on your shoulders mm -hmm. and what that did for you. And I would love if you would go into that poem a little bit for our audience and kind of what it was like to write about that. Yeah, this is something that like, I personally deal with still like on an everyday basis. And I know it's such a universal, like, first gen child problem or like situation. But basically, I have lived most of my life with this overall goal of being able to give back to my mom. I grew up with my mom being a single mom raising us through like, really tough times. And, you know, we, we went through it in, in like, most of my childhood, I think we finally started to like settle down around like 12 or 13. But like, before that you have so many years of like going through it so again the goal is to always be able to give back to my mom but because of that there are moments that like I feel bad mm. for living in LA you know I'm originally from New York all of my family's in New York and I, I have moments still to this day where I'm just like, am I doing the right thing? And I think that's why it's so hard to feel good in my accomplishments. And, I, and I've spoken to, shout out to therapy, really love my therapist. Uh, <laughs> um, She's but, like, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, I legit love my therapist. I can have a whole different podcast just talking about her. Yes, but, love therapists. <laughs> just last week, when I mentioned when I was talking about all of these accomplishments and all these big things I'm doing, she, again, she mentioned, like, I was talking about it matter-of-factly. And we kind of just delved into it. And I just completely kind of broke down and opened up. And I was just like, I don't feel good about anything I'm doing. And it's really hard for me to feel good about any, like, accomplishments I have. Because I feel like my mom is struggling in New York. Or, like, she feels like she doesn't have anyone over there. And I'm over here, like, 3,000 miles away doing my own thing, but doing what she came to America to do, right? right. Yeah. Like, my mom came to America to have a better life for herself, to have a better life for my brother that was back in El Salvador. And then when she had us, she was just like, you guys will have a better life here, too. But it still feels bad. Like, my mom has never made me intentionally feel bad about the things I do, but in Latin cultures, it's a very matriarchal kind of thing. Mm. Like the women take care of the women. So I'm there and I'm like, I'm the only daughter that my mom has. And I'm like, I should probably be at home taking care of my mom. But if I were to be at home, that that's literally what I'd be doing. Being at home, taking care of my mom. And I had like a really big catalyst moment way before it was right before I went to college at Emerson 
I had a, a pretty big thing happen to me and I called up a friend and I was like, I actually don't think I can go to Boston for college. I think I, I have to like take back my like exception and like stay in New York. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty blunt with me. He's like, no, you have to go. Like you have to leave because of this. And if it, honestly, if it weren't for that friend, like saying those words to me, I probably would still be in New York. I have no idea where I'd be right now. Um, not like it's, it would be bad, but I like genuinely don't know where my life would have gone if I stayed in New York. So it, it sucks. And it's super hard because it's like it feels like an everyday battle being like, all right, I'm trying to have fun here. <laughs> and I'm like in L.A. Like we have beaches. Crazy. And then like. <laughs> it's not sunny today. Then, I, don't know where I was going to say like, sun, but then I look out of the out the window and it's like. Yeah, right. it's like gloomy. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the on the other end, after I'm done having fun, I go at home and like I call my mom and I'm like, oh, I should, she, she seems like she's having a tough day. I should, I should probably go back to New York. You know, and that's like an everyday battle. That's so hard, right? Because she. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like the the whole reason she brought you here is to have a better life. But then you experiencing that better life just gives you that guilt of like not being with her and, you know, and helping her out. You know, it's it's like this catch 22. Mm -hmm. And you're not like following the same like structure that she did. Maybe she was there for her mother and that was what she like known to do and seeing you do something different. Maybe whether it's that's what she's feeling or you're feeling is like. I'm I'm changing the the lane. Like, is that okay? Am I supposed to be? Mm-hmm. I have this a lot with my own family. Even though I'm like close with my mom, it's like the do I am I allowed to have my own life? Am I allowed to be happy if my mom is sad at some point? Sometimes is am I allowed to be happy or do my own thing and not be there for my family? Sometimes and like, is that okay to be in a different place? And I think for you as well, it seems like mm-hmm. there's that kind of battle, and that seems pretty natural. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's definitely tough. And like everything comes with time and eventually I know I'll stop feeling less bad. I will say I feel significantly less bad than I do when I first moved like to LA and it it gets a little better each year where I'm just like, no, like I'm doing the right thing. I'm here. I'm, I'm doing everything I never thought I could even touch. So each year it gets easier, but it's rough. It's still so rough because like you said, it's, it's an expectation in, in these cultures where you're just like, no, like I took care of my mom. You should be taking care of me. And my mom would never, like my mom would never tell me to move back. But whenever we have like phone calls, it's like, I know she misses me. I know she misses me dearly. And I know she wants to see me. And it's, it's tough. I think in the poem, I mentioned something of just like, her seeing me walk away and knowing that I'm never going to come back. And that's so heartbreaking because I love my mother. Like I, my mother is like one of the strongest women I know, but also one of the most stubborn (laughs) and the one of the most like in her ways type of person. So it's, it's hard to navigate those two worlds. Yeah. But I, and I think it's really beautiful though. And it's still valid for you to have your own journey and that it seems like your mother though is still very like proud of you and in different ways and we'll, we'll get into that like there's a part that I want to get into to the last yeah. one like, I don't want to like get into that just yet but I think that that's really beautiful that you've kind of been able to to show like my accomplishments if anything like are because of the wonderful raising or like the experiences that you've had with a, such a strong stubborn wonderful mom yeah no I definitely 
she raised us right like in the circumstances she had in the circumstances we grew up with like I look at me and my brother who is like one of my closest friends and I'm like you raised two pretty like well-off people in this society like you know we're not I would say (laughs) I was gonna say we're not like changing the world type of people but we're also like we're decent human beings and we understand like what it is to respect people and have that and I I feel like for for some reason that's hard to come by sometimes but I feel I look at me and my brother and I'm pretty proud of us because like you know in our circumstances we could have turned out very different and I talk about that very often where I'm like I could have been so much colder and so much meaner and like a real bad person but I think it's a lot of that that base values my mom instilled in us and I'm like you you raised two good kids mm-hmm. in the next poem that we we wanted to touch on it's in inheritance mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of talk about that generational masking that you mentioned and how how you broke free or breaking free things like that if you can kind of go into to that poem and kind of what your thought process was there yeah so inheritance was actually born out of um, one of my workshop classes and I forget the prompt that was given to us that I, I chose for that. But immediately when I saw the prompt, it was just like, oh, I'm talking about the masking of like my family and especially like being a woman in, in this like world. So I, I've written a, a poem before, I think way back in the day called Facade. And it was talking about a porcelain mask fixed upon someone's face. Um, and... I've always kind of loved the imagery behind that of just like people wearing masks that aren't really true to themselves and just having to like hold it up and just that how exhausting that can be. And I, I talk about it because again, in, in my culture, though it's very matriarch in, in the, in the home, it's still like, we're still a part of this patriarchal society. So we're still pretty much bending down to the will of a man and that's really exhausting (laughs) to be quite honest yeah (laughs) it's just super freaking exhausting so I you know my mom grew up in El Salvador and then had her own type of visions and she also is like a part of the church and has like these very specific views of how women should be and me having been a part of the church completely understood that I found my Tumblr like a few years ago, now deleted, so you'll never be able to find it. <laughs> but, <laughs> we can't go back. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Dang. Dang it. <laughs> but the, the reason I deleted it is because I had my Tumblr when I was really into the church. And I like blogged on Tumblr. And I remember finding this like little blog post on Tumblr that I was like 16. <laughs> and I posted this thing that was just like, I'm ready for a husband. I just want to, like, literally, I, the, I want to cook and clean for my husband post. Oh. And I was just like, I read that back a few years ago. And I was like, what is that? That's not me. <laughs> That's, I don't know that girl. How we change. Yes, how <laughs> yeah. we evolve. Yeah. yeah but, but I have that, like, I had that innately in me. And there are so many days where I still have to break like my own inner like misogynist and my own like inner all of these like status quo where I believe them like I believe that and I was so that was a part of me if not that was me 
So I'm like every day breaking all of those things. Um, I also talk about like masculinity and femininity in a book because I grew <clears> up <throat> only around boys. Like I grew up only around my cousins and my brothers who played like uh, Mortal Kombat and went to karate and like wrestled in the yard all the time. Like, what do you expect me to be when that's all I have around me? <laughs> Mm-hmm. so what when it came to inheritance i was just like yeah no like my grandmother and my mother i'm sure like felt like they needed to be in a certain place or be a certain person to like move forward in life and i just i no longer want that to be a part of myself so and it makes sense like having that mask on like there, there are parts of yourself that's like, well, wait, but this is what I'm seeing. You're not even seeing your truth sometimes, too. You're kind of hiding from yourself as well of who you want to be. And I think that that's really beautiful. Like every time you like kind of found a part of yourself, the mask kind of loosened a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like every time you loved yourself more, like when you came came out, like you kind of understood that mm-hmm. yourself more. And I think that's really powerful. And I'm curious, like, in that way, like, have you shared any of this with your family, like, with your mom? Have you talked with her about what that mask was like or what it is like to kind of be more, like, just the things that you've realized within letting go of the mask? Yeah, so, actually, my mom really wants this book, and I'm (gasps) terrified to give it to her. I'm so scared to give this book to my mom because of that entire section is basically about my mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know, like, I have family members that have ordered the book, too. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah. But I am I'm very terrified. But what I do appreciate is that I had, like, a rocky period with my mother when I, like, was starting to find myself right after the church. So my mom had this very specific image of who I was as a person. And when I started to break away from the church and start to become my own person, she was like, I have no idea who this is. So she would get, you know upset so after that rocky period and really after I moved to LA my relationship with my mother got significantly better and I think it's the distance of like well I don't see her very often so do I want to always fight with her when I do talk to her or I see her and my my answer is no I don't always want to fight with my mom when I see her (laughs) and I think slowly but surely she has also agreed (laughs) but yeah there are some subjects that I haven't talked to my mom about like my sexuality and uh my identity and gender but I also kind of feel like she knows like I don't know (laughs) it's one of the situations like do I have to talk about this or like do you kind of know (laughs) um but you know there there are certain things like my mom do you think you'll leave that because you you said she's interested in reading the book do you think you'll approach the subjects before handing her the book or are you thinking like this will be something that you will hand her the book towards and you know and that'll kind of explain it all (laughs) honestly I'm hoping on a prayer my mom can't read English very much so I'm like you know what I'll give you the book and then like She's like, I just got corazón. Is that good? What does this mean? Oh, no, that, that's not what that means. Like, you could interpret it differently. Yeah. 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 So I'm just like, you know, maybe, maybe we'll just never talk about it. Or we can. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. What, what does pansexual mean? That? I might date a man one day. Yeah, it's still, Who see? Knows? Yeah, could yeah. still have a husband. You never know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, yeah, there, there are other subjects where, like, Again, my mom's getting older. <laughs> the best way to to describe my mom is that she's 57 and she 
<laughs> she, I told her one day, hey, mom, you kind of look angry whenever I introduce my friends to you. And I know that's not, you're not angry all the time, but you just have like that face. And she angrily was just like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, this is how I look. About my face. <laughs> like, this is me. Am I supposed to change? And I was just like, no, I'm just giving you the wherewithal that this is how you come off sometimes. Great. So, like, that's that's kind of my mom. Very set in her ways. But, again, like, what I, what I do love about my mom um, is that if you know how to talk to her, she does listen. So I remember when we were talking about, my mom hates my tattoos. I have so many of them, but she hates all of my <laughs> tattoos. And she doesn't know that both of my back tattoos are very dedicated to her. Uh, <laughs> so she hates them. I have mixed feelings about <laughs> these. <laughs> sure. But it's for you, mom. <laughs> but I talked to her about it and, you know, I I always want to come from a place of understanding. So I just like asked her, I was like, do you hate like it cannot be about the church at this point because my mom came into the church she didn't grow up in the mm. church you know she entered the church kind of just like I did so I was like it can't be that and then she like sat me down with her and she was like you know I grew up in El Salvador and gangs are really bad over there so whenever I saw anyone walking with tattoos I would tremble because I knew that they were a gang member and I sat there and I looked at her and I was like that makes sense like that obviously makes sense to me and then I looked at her and was like, do you think I'm in a gang? Because <laughs> I am. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, got to break it to you. But, you know, she gives me little comments here and there, but it's not like the, the major subject anymore, which is like so good because it used to be the only thing she used to talk to me about. And then the other day I have to explain to her capitalism. So that was really uh, fun. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. That's so, a subject. So, you know, I do try to break these boundaries my mom because obviously she knows one thing and one thing only. So I'm like, it's not like that, mom. And she, she gets it little by little. You know, it, it, it is fun seeing my mom evolve in certain ways. And then other ways where I'm like, I'm just not going to be the one that changes your mind on this. But yeah, it is it's right. an interesting subject. I feel like, Cameron, how do you feel? I feel like this is a nice kind of segue into the the poetry is too vulnerable yeah. for I'm home. You know, we're we're kind of already touching that right now. So I, I feel like we should we should lean into yeah, that definitely. one. And it's kind of, you know, you, you talk about loving your mother but not being able to be her best friend and your mother not understanding therapy and you know why you need to write a book. And so I was hoping, you know, you, you kind of touched on a little bit in the, the previous section, but wanted to touch a little bit about that poem or that that section and like, you know, where, where you're coming from. Yeah. Poetry is too vulnerable for a Latin home is, again, one of my favorite poems in this book because it was the first poem that I wrote for the book. I was like, oh, this is going in there. This is the one. The beginning of it is me describing a conversation between my mom and I regarding this book that I'm, I, I wrote. And that that's a real conversation that I had <laughs> with my mother. And again, she's very instilled in the church. So when I told her like, hey, I'm writing a release in the book, she was proud of me. And I knew she was proud of me. But the only thing that she said afterwards was, and then you're going to write a Christian book. Oh. And I was just like... <laughs> 
Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I know she she means it from a place of love mm-hmm. and everything, but again, it's this ideal that my mom has of me that I no longer am. Right. <laughs> so that was really hard to hear because I was just like, I wrote a book. Like I'm I'm talking about the book I just wrote or the book that I'm gonna write. Like kind of sucks that the first thing that you think of is hey and then you're gonna write a book that I actually like that's kind of like what I it felt like in a for a bit Mm -hmm. so that was like really really hard to hear from my mom and then this began as a journal entry too because that day was so hard for me I was just like dang it always feels like nothing I do is good enough sometimes especially when it comes to like this religion and, and her ideals and her morals yeah so I was just like this is like big like people have been telling me this is big at least so I'm just like why why does this not feel big enough so it began as a, a journal entry and then I like looked back at it and I was like all right I think I could do something with this so that first part is just a journal entry and then I got into it and started talking about like what I always felt like my relationship to my mom should have been which is like this best friends close relationship this hollywood perfect yeah like this this buddy buddy type of situation where you can go to your mom for everything and like she's gonna be there for you and not that i don't feel like i can go to my mom for things but i understand my mom a bit better now as an adult and I understand if I go to her for certain things, I'm going to get a reaction I don't like. So, like, why put myself in that situation? So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and it's something that, like, I've always kind of grew up with. I think in that it, it, it's broken up in, I think, four or three stanzas with, like, little lines in between them. And in the, in the third stanza, I, I talk about um, beginning therapy. And that's a, an actual conversation I had with my mom. I uh, started to go to therapy when I was like 17, 18. And I told my mom that I wanted to go to therapy. Uh, and f- for so many things too, like I, I, again, grew up in the shitter for many different reasons. And she genuinely asked me, she's like, why can't you talk to me about these things? And at that point, it was really like problems I had with my mom. And I'm like, how am I supposed to come to you about the problems I have to you without you feeling attacked. Yeah. yeah. Because I know you. I know you well enough. So if I say, hey, you hurt, like, I feel this way, or you hurt me in this way, you're just going to come back at me and be like, oh, well, I guess I can't do anything right. I, I don't know if anyone else's parents like to use that line. Yeah. But my mom really likes that yes. line. <laughs> Wow, this is just how I am. What do you want me to do? Yeah, and I'm just like, that's not not what I said. I never said that you can't do anything right. I said I'm hurting right now. Yeah, and those are very different things, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, and that doesn't turn into a therapy session or even cathartic. It turns into an argument usually at the end of the day, you know. So it's like. Yeah, Yeah. and you usually don't even have the tools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I talk about that and then. I, I talk about writing this book and I think I, I remember writing that last line and just like as soon as I, I think I was going into this last section where it says, and the older I get, the five hours of flight begins to feel like a lifetime. 
it's been more than a year since I've called to you. It's been about a year since we last fought. And though you have expectations of me I cannot meet, and though you pray for me every night when I, even while I've forgotten how to get on my knees, I think somewhere in the mixture of fear and anticipation, you are proud of me. I hope you are proud of me. I wrote that line like through tears, mm-hmm. like genuinely like through teary eyes and everything because I, I never know. <laughs> I never know what my mom is proud of and what she's not proud of. Yeah, because she comes back with, and then you'll write a Christian book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like, oh, congratulations. Like, oh, well, this is just the stepping stone to a real A real book. book. Yeah. So that that line, and even when I read it still, I'm just like, oh, it still like really hits me in the guts because it's still something I'm currently and feel like I'm forever going through. Because like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, there is this base, like, goal that I have had for what feels like my entire life Mm -hmm. and it is to provide my mom for everything she's given me and to pay her back for everything she's given me so when I feel like I'm doing these things in towards that goal and then I don't get like any recognition for it and like am told like in a way she wants me to do you better Mm -hmm. I'm like I'm tired Yeah, I'm genuinely tired. (laughs) Yeah, I'm genuinely tired and I'm trying. So that that poem really hit home for me because I'm just like, fuck it. I just want you to be proud of me. Like, I just want you to look at the things I've done and be proud of me. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard to feel that for my mom. Not because, again, I know my mom loves me. It's just our languages in in emotions are so very different so sometimes when she's proud of me I don't feel it and then other days like I do feel the love and everything but it just it never feels like enough and that's like hard to tell your mom right like hey I'm the first person and the only person to graduate college hey I'm like not living at home and asking you for anything hey look at all these cool things I'm doing like, I wrote a book. I wrote a, <laughs> Published book. a book. I'm living in LA. Yes. Like I'm making yeah. it work. I haven't turned into like a statistic mom. Look at me. Look at all these things I'm doing. And like it just it's hard to feel like she genuinely understands that. So yeah, it's uh Wow. Yeah, that one in particular. <laughs> that one in the Yu-Gi-Oh! home really kind of hit me in particular for different reasons yes but I felt the same way with my father and my mom to a certain degree but with my father too just like I never feel like I'm doing anything that makes you proud and that's like kind of all I do a lot of these things for is to just get that recognition you know but it always feels like you're guilting me or telling me I'm not doing something good enough like I remember I was like Mm -hmm. I'm going to college you know I went to like a really nice college and okay, what's your, you know, degree? Oh, like, I'm really excited to do theater. Well, that's not a real degree. Okay, well, thanks. (laughs) You know? (laughs) See you there. (laughs) Yeah, okay, cool. Awesome. I feel that. My dad will always try to figure out how to. It's like, oh, you're in film, but let's let's make it into something more business like and I know he means I was like let's do this let's Mm -hmm. do that like how can we make it more like like how can you be successful at this and it's not just artistic yeah and then with my mom I I feel that like the whole 
like why can't you just come and talk to me about like we're just talking we're just having i'm like no like this is you need to talk to a therapist about this mom and i need to talk to a therapist about this like there's some things i shouldn't talk to you yeah yeah about the same thing that we're talking about yeah like this conversation shouldn't be had until i've gone to a therapist and have the tools to talk to you yeah yeah i've told this to camera before but I'm not sure how you feel about this, Nancy, but like I'm I'm a fairly firm believer that while it's it's great to have friends and family who you can talk about with things, I'm a fairly firm believer that like you should talk to therapists. Like you should have a therapist for the majority of those. Yeah. Like you know, it's nice to have friends there. Like if you have like a momentary like weakness or you know, if you just want to get something off your chest. But if you have to like constantly get something off your chest or if it's consistent or if it's like a big enough thing. It's emotional labor. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to put on to your, your family and your friends, you know? Yeah. yeah. And also therapists are, you know, that that's a job. People went to school to understand the, la- the language and the mind and, and the psyche and everything. So, like I said, I thought I was absolutely insane for the way that I dealt with relationships because of my attachment style forever. And to have a word and like people that relate to what that is was so like (laughs) mind-blowing to me where like again love breaking down therapy how to break down and I was like you gave me language to not feel insane like you've given me language to feel like oh the way that I react towards things yeah people that happens to people Mm -hmm. and that's so important like your friends as much as they love you might not have the tools to guide you in a proper direction for you yeah. because they're going to speak by their experience. And that doesn't mean it's going to work for you to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't have that experience. They don't have that education. Mm-hmm. I view friends more as support than as like a way to work through this, this problem. You know? yeah. 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 It's good to have like that support. And the support system is important. Your Absolutely. community is important and your family is important and it's good to share and be able to be vulnerable with them. But I think it's just like, we go back to strategically vulnerable, like where, where is the line there too? And where does a therapist fit in? Where does your friends fit in? Where do you fit in with yourself too? Of like, how can you be there for yourself and also being there for your friends and where are your boundaries in that as well so yeah yeah no I I agree and I really do admire everyone like yourselves and everyone that's just like working on themselves and becoming aware of like what's good and what's not good for them and then sharing that information because one therapy is expensive yeah yeah Yeah. that's a whole other conversation (laughs) what we need to break down yeah yeah yeah. unfortunately yeah Yeah. so not everyone can seek the help that they might need right so i love tiktok freaking love tiktok (laughs) and if you get on the right side of tiktok you find therapists and like nutritionists and dietitians that like truly actually know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. and go into this information that's like for free mm-hmm. on their things and I think that's so important of being able to have this more accessible to people but um yeah when you when you have a, a little generation pocket generation of people being aware of what they're doing and like well equipped it I think it just further helps us instead of danger so yeah absolutely uh, I think that's really powerful mm. So we're kind of at time here. So I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. if you had any kind of words that you would like to leave with the audience, 
Yeah, any words or if there's any poem that we didn't, I mean, there's so many poems we didn't mention and such and ones we wanted to, (laughs) but any ones that you feel like this is the one someone should read if they open this book first or if they just have to open it to a random page, what should be the one? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about vulnerability and and that's the main subject here. And personally, what I, I would like people to know is just it's it's okay to show yourself a bit, right? It's okay to put yourself out there and whether the world's going to receive you or not, you don't know. Mm-hmm. So you have to really go out there without expectation. I think that's the biggest thing is like not really holding anyone or anything to expectation, but just being as true to yourself as you can be. Because once you start putting expectations of other people, they're going to disappoint you. So you just have to do what really does feel best for yourself instead of trying to impress the masses. Just got to do that. And when it comes to the poem, honestly, I don't, whatever feels right, I just always highly suggest maybe reading it out loud. I know when I was starting to read poetry, it was so hard to connect just reading on the page. So I always suggest reading it out loud like you're reading it to like a child, like a a little storybook, because I feel like it always helps you connect 